0: Something seems to be happening in West Africa. This alarming headline, gunfire heard in the capital, keeps making its way from one country to another across the region. There has been heavy gunfire in Guinea-Bissau, near the government headquarters in the capital of Bissau. We begin this news hour with breaking news out of Burkina Faso, where an attempted coup is underway. In Guinea, heavy gunfire has been heard near the presidential palace in Conakry. Guinea-Bissau, Burkina Faso, Guinea, Mali, each of these countries has seen an attempted coup that, in some countries, like Burkina Faso, became an actual coup in just the past few weeks. So, what happened and why is this happening now? I'm Malika Bilal and this is The Take. To talk about the region, we got on the line with Al Jazeera's Nicholas Huck, who's seen a few of these coups up close. So anyone who has been listening to The Take and watching Al Jazeera knows who you are. But for those who are newer, you are our West Africa correspondent working out of Senegal. And you've spent a lot of your time recently covering coups and attempted coups. It looks like the most recent one just this past week in Guinea-Bissau is now being declared as an attempted coup. What happened there?
1: I mean, this was quite a strange moment for us because we had just returned from Burkina Faso where there was a coup and we arrive back in Dakar and we hear that there's gunfire. The gunfire is really concentrated on what's called the government's palace. So that's where there was a cabinet meeting between President Umaro Mbalo, his minister. And it seems that there was sustained gunfire for five hours. Now, I know Mbalo. We met him during his presidential election. So I WhatsApped him. Wow! And for a second, he kind of picked up the phone and hung up. So for me, there was an indication that something was going on. He was perhaps alive. And then it turned out, he made an announcement to journalists that he did survive what was another coup attempt. Guinea-Bissau has suffered nine coups since its independence in 1974.
0: But not all coups are alike, even if they're in the same neighborhood, Nick says.
1: The case of Guinea-Bissau is quite specific than the other ones that we're seeing in the region.
0: So, as you mentioned, just days before that, you were a couple of thousand miles east in Burkina Faso's capital just on the southern edge of the Sahel because of an actual
1: coup. So it was the 23rd of January. Just the day before, there was massive protest on the streets of Ouagadougou. People taking to the streets, calling for more security in this country that has come under attack from armed groups linked to ISIL and Al-Qaeda.
0: And this wasn't the first protest. Armed groups fighting in northern Mali, northern Burkina Faso, and neighboring Niger have displaced more than 2 million people across the Sahel region. And the security issue is a big one. It's something Nick and his team keep an eye on. But that day, he was on a different story.
1: When we were getting ready on our live position, and suddenly my phone, the producer's phone, the cameraman's phone started beeping with this alert, gunfire, around a military base in Ouagadougou, which is the capital of Burkina Faso. And when we got that alert, to be honest, we weren't surprised. We knew that something was boiling there.
0: At the time, Nick was still trying to get into Burkina Faso. There were calls going back and forth to Ouagadougou.
1: Our stringer on the ground was, in fact, just next to the military camp where there was gunfire.
0: A soldier at the camp got Al Jazeera on the line with one of the commanders, who had a series of demands.
1: At that point, it was not a coup, but a mutiny. All of the demands summed up to one thing. They want the means to fight armed groups in the north of Burkina Faso. So we waited in the afternoon to hear from the president or from a government authority. We waited an hour. We waited two hours. We waited seven hours. Nothing. By nightfall, no comments.
0: The country's defense minister finally appeared on TV, trying to reassure the population.
1: I strongly deny, first of all, the head of state has not been detained. No institution of the country has been threatened. So as I said, these movements are localized. They are circumscribed, and we're following the evolution of those movements. But we hadn't heard from President hock Kabore.
0: President Kabore was elected in 2015 after an uprising ousted his predecessor. He was re-elected less than two years ago. Still, for more than a year, these repeated protests against how he was handling the security situation in the North haunted him. Protesters called on him to resign in November. Instead, he fired his prime minister in December and replaced his cabinet. But for some of those who opposed him, even that wasn't enough. What happened next?
1: So, overnight, there was this silence. The military said that they were putting a curfew in place. And around five or seven o'clock in the morning, gunfire erupted in a neighborhood where President Roque Macabouret was living. There was reports of a helicopter hovering above his house, and then a statement made by the military junta, essentially saying that they had taken over power. When the conditions are right, I commit to a return to a normal constitutional order. Fellow citizens, people of Burkina Faso, while there are many priorities, it is clear that the main priority remains security. We must significantly reduce the area under terrorist influence and the impact of violent extremism by giving security forces the will to fight, and we must go on the offensive. The next time that we heard from Caboret was a handwritten note that we saw where Caboret essentially said he is resigning from his position in order to maintain peace in his country, for the sovereignty of this country.
0: So gunfire at his compound, helicopters hovering overhead. This was an attempted assassination. Is that right?
1: His party members described this as an attempted assassination. Uh, of course, since then, President Roque-Marc has appeared on television. We can say that we've come to see President Kabore. We saw footage of him meeting a delegation of the West African body, ECOWAS, and a UN delegation. And on the surface, I mean, we've had a good conversation with him. He's in good health. We saw him shaking hands, but make no mistake, this elected official is now under house arrest, and right now he is no longer the man in charge of Burkina Faso. The reason why this coup happened, and the reason why we were expecting this, is because Caboret was viewed as being aloof to the security situation. More interested in drinking great wine, schmoozing with the elite than taking care of the sovereignty of the country. It's that disconnect that led to the coup that happened in Burkina Faso.
0: And what do we know about the new self-declared president?
1: Lieutenant Colonel Henri Damiba. He was on the front line before being promoted by the president himself just weeks ago. And what we've heard is that the last conversation that Lieutenant Colonel Damiba had with Roque Marc Caboret was about trying to shore up more troops to help the soldiers that are on the front line that are suffering crushing defeat. He even suggested perhaps that maybe the Russians should intervene. And Caboret went, no, 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 that's, that's, a, that's an absurd idea. Look at what's happening in neighboring countries.
0: And we will get to the Russian intervention in neighboring countries shortly. So one of the reported big reasons that the coup in Burkina Faso has or appears to have some popular support is something that you've been talking about, which is this lack of security and lack of trust in the government to bring about security in the north of the country. Can you explain this security problem? Who are these groups and why has it been so hard to manage?
1: So... We have to remember that within the last year, Burkina Faso has experienced a mass movement of people. Two million are fleeing the border areas of the north and the east of the country. And these armed groups in these areas, and I spoke to one of the local MPs that represent the area, and he told me, these are our brothers, our fathers, our children. He told me these are Al Qaeda fighters or ISIL fighters only in name. They're not driven by ideology, mm. they're driven by poverty.
0: Nick points to one specific turning point when many lost faith in Kabure's government.
1: When that happened in November, the attack in a military base in Inata, more than 40 soldiers were killed. It turned out that they had gone several weeks without food rations, forcing them to go out to hunt for food. And they were attacked by al-Qaeda fighters while they were out hunting. That sent shockwaves. From then on, we started to see protests on the streets of Ouagadougou against roque Kabore's regime, shaking up officials in Ouagadougou about the security situation in the country.
0: Nick did get into Burkina Faso after the military takeover and was able to speak with people there about what just happened to their country. You spoke with one person. You call him Abdurrahman, though it's not his real name. He's speaking under an assumed name because of the fact that he's speaking out about the army's response to these security problems. What did he say?
1: Abdurrahman, not his real name, of course, we actually met him in Wagadugu, and he explained to us he essentially was trying to get arms through the black market. We are very frustrated with Burkina's army. The armed groups are better equipped than us. They even attack us with rockets, but the army never comes to help us. Meanwhile, the military is busy taking over the capital instead of protecting us along the borders. Civilians that want to take up arms are given a two-week traineeship How to deal with arms and they're given hunting rifles and they're sent to the front line. Wow. Ever since the government has started arming civilians, Al Qaeda and ISIL fighters have moved from targeting security forces to targeting villages. I saw these recently displaced people on the outskirts of Ouagadougou and they were all women or really, really young children, and asked them, where where, where did all the men go? Where did your boys, your children? And they all looked at me in silence. They all were killed, one by one, shot in front of their eyes. This is an intentional way to spread the fear. Just people are rushing towards the capital.
0: So I know that you also visited the center of the capital, the market. How were people there reacting to the coup?
1: There was so much energy released after the coup, or there was so much pent-up energy that needed to be released in this country where most people are under the age of 20, and they've seen leaders above the age of 60. And whilst there is international condemnation, both from the United Nations, from the West African body ECOWAS that has suspended Burkina Faso from the Union, there's an air of defiance. It's less of a celebration of the end of Kabore's regime. It's more of a celebration of hope for change and perhaps that the security situation, the economic situation will follow a certain track.
0: So, Nick, when we reached out to you for this interview, we were initially only going to discuss the coup in Burkina Faso. Then came word of an attempted coup in Guinea-Bissau. Neighboring Mali had two coups in the past two years. Chad, which neighbors Mali to the north, lost its head of state, Idris Debi. He was killed in battle. We talked to you about that. Then Guinea, just south of Guinea-Bissau, had a coup a few months ago. So it's beginning to seem like there is a trend here. Is it reductive to think of this as catching?
1: I mean, there's clearly a trend there's something that's happening in our region that is fundamental, which is people no longer trust their elected officials as providing both the security or working in the interest of the people. It's incredible. And of course, remember, West Africa is big. Each country has its specific grievances. We can't paint them in one brush. What's happening in Guinea-Bissau it's qualified as a narco-state by the State Department. There's been existing grievances between the military and the government. In Mali, it's an issue of security. And then in Burkina Faso, there's multiple issues to all of this. But there is something interesting. We're seeing these coups happen after there's been popular protests. Same thing in Burkina Faso. We saw protests in the month heading to this coup. The signals were clear. We knew that this was going to happen. We all had our visas ready. We knew that there was going something was going needed to change. It, the majority of the electorate are young, right? It's seen as the situation deteriorating, these elected officials getting richer, the poor getting poorer. They're just like, if this is not working, let's not wait for an election. Hmm. Let's take to the streets and protest. <laughs>
0: There is one thing that ties this new generation of military leaders together. Military training from the United States.
1: So it's quite interesting. Colonel Asimi Goita, Colonel Dumbuya in Guinea, and Colonel Bonori Damiba in Burkina Faso. So I'm talking about Guinea, Mali, and Burkina Faso. They've all had training at Flintlock. The Americans have this special forces exercise flintlock on a yearly basis. And we know that these guys have hung out with each other, know each other. There's a level of camaraderie. They're also learning from each other. And they're seeing the limits of what the international community can do. And they're also seeing that there are alternatives to the usual players in the region. The
0: usual players like the French. The former colonial power, France, has been in West Africa for centuries now.
1: And they see these heads of states as being placed by the French, as being the proxy of the French. And it's true. Roque-Marc Ibrahim Boubacar Keita, Alpha Condé, they've all been educated in France. They all love drinking wine. And they're seen playing to French interests instead of the people's interests. At least that's how it's perceived by some on the streets. And I think that these coups, you can't see them without taking into consideration this growing anti-French sentiment in the region.
0: It might be obvious, but in case it's not, why are we seeing this growing anti-French sentiment now?
1: The security situation in the Sahel has gone from bad to worst.
0: Remember in 2013, French forces arrived in Mali to help with the security situation.
1: France says it will not allow Bamako to fall, and it wants this to be a quick operation. And it's seen by many that the French are no longer the solution, but the problem. And we're seeing this specifically neighboring Burkina Faso in Mali, where the government of transition, led by Colonel Asimi Goita, has just recently done something that no one in the region, no other country has done, as far as I know in recent history, expelled the French ambassador. After France's foreign minister called Mali's military rulers illegitimate, the military called the comments outrageous and is kicking out the French ambassador. So that's a big deal. That's a big deal. President Emmanuel Macron is a break from the past. He's been open to more criticism and with it has come more criticism on the African continent of course, there's also a level of manipulation that we're seeing, no doubt, in this anti-French sentiment. And that's where I think one of the key players in here is interesting. Of course, the Russians.
0: Right. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to talk about that next. There's been tension between European powers and Mali, for example about the fact that there are reports of Russian soldiers who are on the ground, specifically fighters with the Wagner Group, which is this well-known Russian military contractor. With anti-Western sentiment on the rise in Mali, a shift is emerging away from France towards Russia. Its foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, confirmed Mali had requested the assistance of a Russian military contractor. A lot of eyes are on Ukraine right now, watching Russia's influence there. But should more attention be paid to what is happening in West Africa? What What do we know about these contractors?
1: Well, I, w- I was pretty lucky. I was, I think, I was one of the first journalists to spend some time with the Wagner Group, uh, with these Russian fighters in the Central African Republic. And I think for many in the region, saw, so, huh, if Central African Republic can do it without the French, why not us? Mali, there's a lot of people that were educated in Russia. They all have a history with the Soviet Union. Make no mistake, Malika, what we're seeing here right now, it's as if we're seeing something from back of the Cold War. Whilst there's a front line being opened up in Europe with Ukraine, there's also a front line being opened up here between the West and Russia in the Sahel and Central and Western Africa. And so we're seeing these Russian fighters advertising themselves. They've made these really swanky videos, that kind of Hollywood movie that you would see from the Western perspective is like for them. They're saying Western allies say this is kind of interesting, but the Russians are seen as an alternative. It's, it's quite interesting to see these protests where the French flags are being turned upside down to, to look like a Russian flag. So we've seen people, oh, wow. you know, following the coup in Burkina Faso. Yeah. People holding Russian flags.
0: So finally, where does Burkina Faso, and perhaps the region, since we've expanded this out, where does it stand on the topic of democracy these days? Is what we see currently, is that likely to hold? Or will there be more coups to come?
1: So in Burkina Faso, democracy has only been a recent bleep in its history. They've only experienced democracy the last six years. For the vast majority of the time, people in Burkina Faso have experienced autocratic regimes. I wouldn't say it's a setback in democracy. It's a recalibrating of democracy. People here are savvy. They know that. They deserve better. And that's why we're seeing these young gentle leaders that are all in their 30s or early 40s taking over and they're riding this popular support And this desire to see some sort of change, not just along the security lines, but something that better represents the aspiration and who people are here in the West African region and on the continent as a whole.
0: And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters, with Ruby Zaman, Alexandra Locke, Ney Alvarez, Priyanka Tilvey, Rihin Oliay, and me. Malika Bilal. Our story editor is Tom Fenton. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Our engagement producer is Aya El Mileik, and Stacey Samuel is executive producer. For more, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at AJ The Take and on Facebook at The Take Pod. If you like what you hear, rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Then tell your friends. We'll be back.